Hi, this is Kevin Rose, Chief Marketing Officer at DeCoco, the primary contributor to Alien Worlds Metaverse. And Sagam Kher of Mercury Forge, where we craft the next wave of immersive auto battling blockchain gaming experiences. You're tuned in to the edge of NFT, your portal to the forefront of Galactic Hubs and the ever expanding lore of the Alien Worlds Metaverse. Keep listening. Hey, Web3 Curious listeners, stay tuned for today's episode to learn how the evolution of a 2020 game turned into a dynamic metaverse featuring six planets, interplanetary DAOs, and made strides at the intersection of Web3, AI, and gaming. And why the power of lore in gaming allows you to create a mesmerizing universe that people want to be a part of. And finally, why Mass Effect and Star Trek might be the best sci-fi IP that was ever created. It's another journey to the edge of alien worlds today. So sit back and cue the intro. Welcome to the Edge of NFT, the podcast that brings you the top 1% of Web3 today and what will stand the test of time. We explore the nuts and bolts of the business side and also the human element of how Web3 is changing the way we interact with the things we love. This podcast is for the dreamers, disruptors, and doers who are pumped about this ecosystem and driving where it goes next. Welcome to The Edge of NFT, the podcast created by Jeff Kelly, Ethan Jenny, and Josh Krieger, featuring a variety of top-notch guests and other hosts like myself, Richard Carthon. It's another production of The Edge of Company, a quickly growing media ecosystem empowering the pioneers of Web3 tech and culture, responsible for other groundbreaking endeavors like Outer Edge LA Innovation Festival. Today's sponsored episode features Kevin Rose, who is the Chief Marketing Officer at Alien Worlds. He previously worked at Wide Ranger Labs, Bullish, and is a former top 21 block producer on the EOS mainnet blockchain. His experience helps Alien Worlds raise awareness and engagement within their ecosystem, essentially for fostering community participation and growth. Meanwhile, our featured game developer is uh, Sugum Kerr from Mercury Forge. And Sugum journeyed through Ubisoft and Hopscotch games where he worked on titles such as Unity, Roblox. Um, with a dash of entrepreneurial spirit, he founded Poor Small Studio and SKAR Tech an artistic software development group. For those who don't already know, Alien Worlds is a blockchain gaming platform built on Ethereum, Wax, and BNB Smart Chain. It was originally focused on mining, but has evolved into a dynamic social metaverse with over 2,000 community proposals. This community-led sci-fi world and intertwining lore and IP across projects has players compete using NFTs and assign attributes to mine Trillium, TLM, and staking it on planet DAOs. All while acquiring mining tools, virtual land parcels, minions, and weapons to enhance each player's gaming experience. Uh, it's a pleasure to have you both here today. Absolutely a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having us, Richard. Yeah, Absolutely. thank you, Richard. Great, great intro, by the way. Uh, just one, one clarification. Um, so I'm actually Chief Marketing Officer of DeCoco, which one is the uh, primary contributor of Alien Worlds. But Alien Worlds is much bigger than any one organization, so just wanted to create that. that uh, yeah, uh, and thank definitely thanks for um, clarifying that. Um, well, um, this is our second installment of Alien Worlds this year. We had Evan and Matthew not too long ago on episode three eighteen, and we enjoyed exploring the game alongside the Galactic Hubs and Trillium Quest. Um, and of course, for those who missed that episode, Galactic Hubs goes beyond funding, offering tailored marketing campaigns across Alien Worlds IP, guidance on project integration and more. And before we kind of dive into today's projects, I first want to like learn a little bit more about both of you and like what made you enter the gaming space and also with Web3. So Kevin, I'll kick it off to you first. Sure. Um, what made me enter the gaming space? Well, 
First, I've been a gamer my entire life. I think that it's the best medium for storytelling that we have. I mean, my favorite games um, would be Final Fantasy VII, The Witcher 3, um, and, you know, I'll be playing Warzone, uh, dropping with my friends and, and having a good time. So I, I think game, games are amazing. And I, and I also, um, you know, I've been in blockchain for almost six years. And I think that gaming uh, and, and Web3 capabilities are the best fit for one another. Um, especially as games have become more um, subscription-based models, um, in-app purchases, you know, um, you end up playing these games for a very long time. And so I think it makes perfect sense to marry a technology that um, where you get to own what you earn um, instead of being locked into this economic ecosystem that you'll see in many other games today. So I got into blockchain because um, it is it is a liberating technology and you meet a lot of interesting people and you experiment with a, a lot of new philosophies and thoughts. Um, it's, it is a learning experience, but above everything else. And so I naturally found my way to gaming because I, I just love gaming so much. Um, but prior to being involved in Alien Worlds, um, it was, you know, I was involved in a lot of DAO creation, um, which is a fascinating new type of organization. I'm sure many of your, your viewers already know about it. Um, uh, a lot of DeFi, um, exchange operations, and then actually running and launching a layer one blockchain with billions of dollars of, uh, of total value locked on that chain. So it's been a, a really varied experience, but I have found that gaming is certainly the most fun. And I think the most rewarding, because um, at the end of the day, you're not trying to save the world. Everybody is, is just trying to have fun. And so by lowering the stakes a little bit, sort of removes a little bit of the anxiety, you know, working in blockchain. And so I've enjoyed it for many different reasons. Yeah, that's so awesome. And um, giving a sh quick shout out to my boy Jalen because he swears that Witcher 3 is one of the greatest games of all time. And I'm sure you agree with him on that. 100%. Um, Do the DLCs well, too. Oh my gosh, so good. Um, but Sugum, what about you? What made you get into gaming and what made you get into Web3? Well, quite similarly, honestly, I was always a gamer. Like I, I think it's a, it's something you're born into you're attracted to. And of course, it. I, I think uh, Kevin put it well, like it's like a culmination of all art forms, you know, like there's the visual side, there's the audio side and and the storytelling part. When it all comes together, it's really a wonderful experience. And I think it's resonated with everybody around the world. And that's where, that's why gaming is where it is right now. So that's pretty cool. And I kind of was obsessed with it as a kid and eventually got into it, kind of self-taught myself. Into like I, I always felt like you know I could make things better uh, if I had the opportunity. If only this particular aspect of this game was better, I wanted to be able to change that eventually, and that's what got me into it. And uh, the Web three space is pretty interesting. Like I think it's the natural direction where the game, uh, gaming industry should head towards. And you know the community building part is something that we're really interested in and wanted to explore and. I think this uh, opportunity really gave us the ability to do that. Oh, definitely. And we're definitely going to dive into that a little bit more. Um, but before we do, I want to learn just a little bit more as a refresher, Kevin, if you don't mind. Um, can you just give us a, a, an overview of the grant program and the significance within Alien Worlds ecosystem? Sure. Uh, so I think um, Alien Worlds operates in many ways like 
you would have seen other layer ones operate Ethereum, um, EOS, Binance Smart Chain, you know, um, whichever, where there is often um, a pool of uh, resources that are set aside for people to create. Um, this is such an experimental place. It is, it, it's paramount that you're not afraid to fail and that you're not afraid to break things. And so you put these resources aside and then you say, we are willing to take a risk on you and your group to build something that you believe would be valuable for the community, whether it be fun, um, a game or an application or a tool, you know, whichever it is, we actually will be uh, soon launching targeted grants just for people to create lore uh, within Alien Worlds. And we'll get into why that's important for us later, but it, you know, stories, art, characters, animation, um, just fiction. And so, the if you look at an, an analog like um, the Ethereum Foundation, they gave a hundred thousand um, dollar equivalent grant to a group um, that ended up creating Uniswap, and that basically launched DeFi. Um, and and that was a fraction of a percent of what the Ethereum Foundation had allocated across many different groups to try many different things. And so it just highlights the importance of, of in many, it's not investment, but it is that same mentality where you're going to, you're going to support 10 groups and nine of them are probably going to fail, but the one that succeeds is going to change everything. And so we take that mentality with, with, uh, with supporting alien worlds and really we're trying to find uh, killer games, killer applications and fun activities for people to do within the metaverse. Absolutely. I think that's a great antidote to just, you know, put in a perspective of you, you, you try to find a lot of really good opportunities knowing that you, you're going to find some diamonds, right? You're going to, you're going to find some that are really cool opportunities. And those are the ones that are going <laughs> to change the game and, and make things keep evolving. And of course, uh, why we got Sugum here is because I believe he's one of the grant recipients. Um, would love to learn a little bit about your journey in game development and the work you're doing. And also just kind of talk to us about like, you know, what was that process of, of going through the grant and, and how does that helped um, you build into Battlefleet Armageddon? Sure. So uh, Mercury Forge was basically born from Gaio Games and we were a, a traditionally Web2 company. And we focused on tight arcade style experiences and we made some mobile stuff and also managed a bunch of, bunch of popular Roblox titles. Uh, we had like 130 plus million players across its lifetime. And uh, we did a lot of sponsored stuff with Apple and uh, all as well. So our background is kind of traditional, but also like we wanted to enter the Web3 space uh, and this seemed like the perfect op opportunity. Uh, what we wanted to do was bring tight, simple experiences in uh, front of players. Like, you know, usually when you see uh, a lot of other uh, metaverse projects, they're not like, they're not as traditionally based in games, uh, at least in my uh, perspective that I've seen. So we went, wanted to bring those tight experiences, which had like a good loop, like an addictive loop. I feel that that could do a lot and potentially be the foundation of a real community and, you know, complexity and more interesting organically developing gameplay experiences. So that's what we've seen uh, on our other successes. Uh, and that's what we wanted to get uh, bring to our Web3 audiences. 
and alien worlds was perfect for that because uh the technology is kind of driving community storytelling and building lore which is really interesting and you know the crowd is helping build it uh we thought that was really cool and wanted to give this community a place to collect and compete and perhaps build additional lore yeah that's so cool and i like that you know coming from web 2 and 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 bringing that energy over into web 3 uh feels like kind of a, a fluid and a natural progression and one of the elements of it that you brought up was community and and kevin I actually want to spend some time on this because i know this is really essential to Dalian world's ecosystem um you know what does the role of community engagement and decentralized governments play in shaping the development evolution that you're seeing not just in web3 games but within uh, the alien worlds ecosystem as well so there's a lot of different ways to answer that question i think in decentralized ecosystems there's a bit of how do i say it so i guess over my time so i've always been i've always worked in marketing in a professional capacity in my various positions in, in, in different projects and ecosystems and i say no good plan survives contact with the community um, I think that's important for everyone to keep in mind, because even if you are communicating as directly and explicitly as possible over communicating, there's this fog of war. You know, if you play if you ever played Warcraft three, you know about the fog of war, right? Where unexplored areas of the map, you can't see what's going on. Um, so there this kind of this exists in these ecosystems and, and especially because there's no. There's no one particular group in charge. So in Alien Worlds, we actually have six DAOs that operate independently of one another. And in the game, we call them syndicates. And these syndicates elect leaders to make decisions on a stream of inflation that they receive uh, for the native token Trillium. And they can do with that Trillium anything um, that they like. And, and they again, they do so independently. So Dococo communicating as best as we can is still not even the 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 total puzzle um, within within the community. Oh, the six syndicates have to be communicating. The projects um, that are being built through um, through grants uh, from Galactic Hubs need to be communicating. A lot of uh, there's a lot <laughs> to hear and consume um, to understand the totality of what's going on um, in the metaverse. I, I would say. It, it, and it's always been a challenge. It doesn't come naturally to everybody. And, and, you know, sometimes resources are tight. And so what you have available is the people to build the project and they'll, they'll let the work speak for itself. But in the meantime, absence of communication leads to people filling in the blanks themselves. And that can sometimes damage the community. And so what we try to do at DeCoco is facilitate communication, not just from what we're building directly, but from what other people are building in the community as well. So we will actually go out to independent organizations and groups and contributors and say, how can we feature you? How can we give you a soapbox, a platform, um, so that people can find what resonates with them um, and enjoy that project or that group or that micro community within the overall alien worlds ecosystem. So it can be very complicated. And, and in this way, you know, it's good that there's a lot, but it's also not so good in that starting as a, as a, a new member of the community can sometimes be overwhelming. Um, so we try as best as possible to give sort of home bases for people to start. And so you end up with this multi-layered web um, trying to make sure everybody can find where they want to go, where they feel like they belong um, and where they're having fun. Uh, so, you know, you could, you could go on and on and get more specific about this, but I guess I'm trying to give a feeling of, of how it works. 
Yeah, no, I think that was a really good way of describing it. And one of the pieces that we're going to kind of drill into is the communication and, and, and how, even though you're building this enormous ecosystem that can be overwhelming, being able to carve your niche, carve your initial community into the greater community, that first step can sometimes be the hardest. And one of the ways that you can help like communicate that is through understanding like what kind of game are you? What kind of you know aspects of of games do you enjoy? And so with that, uh, we're not going to be talking about and communicating with uh, Sugum uh, the game that you're getting ready to drop, uh, which is uh, Battlefront Armageddon. So before we do, we're actually going to start with a little show trailer. So we're going to go ahead and show that first. The stars in Battlefleet Armageddon. Enter a realm of starbound warfare in the alien world's metaverse. Assemble your fleet, strategize formations, and embark on interstellar conquests. Roll for advanced ships, upgrade your armada, and engage in tactical battles. Master the art of space combat and outmaneuver opponents in head-to-head -head starship showdowns. Leverage the rarity of your alien world and FTs to unlock ultra-premium ships, granting superior firepower and distinctive advantages in your cosmic conflicts. In the vast expanse of Armageddon, every decision shapes your destiny. Join forces with fellow commanders, share strategies, and thrive in this community-driven universe. Battlefleet Armageddon, an Alien Worlds community game. All right, that was a really awesome um, demo that we just got to see. For all of those who are listening, I'm going to let Sugum kind of describe uh some of the gameplay that was going on before we kind of and, and and if you also can just kind of talk about more generally you know about your game battlefield armageddon and what people can expect when they play this sure so uh, we wanted to want the barrier of entry to be low you know you don't want uh you want everybody to be able to play and the best genre for that would be like an auto battler and that's what this is basically uh what you have to do is make your own fleet and you collect ships which eventually unlock uh, depending on their rarity and all. And you collect, uh, you make a fleet and then it's a PVP battle. Like you go online, you find another player and it's a battle between two players, collected ships. And every ship has their own uh, specialty and, you know, features. If, for example, if a ship dies, they can spawn another ship and so on. But uh, what this does is add a lot of layer of uh, competition between the players. And what we've done uh, essentially is made that loop, uh, we tried to do at least, is make that loop really interesting and addictive. And at every round, basically, you get a, a certain amount of currency, you buy ships, and then you enter the next round. And uh, the objective is to survive. Uh, what we wanted to do was uh, essentially make a top-down strategy style uh, auto battler and uh what we realized down the line is we wanted some level of immersion some level of involvement that the player can have so uh another cool feature that i really love is the commander mode we call it the commander mode because you can like enter a small ship and just get into the battle right in between of the battle and fly it around and just see how it's uh turning out and how your ships are performing how the damage is doing so it uh, really adds to the immersion that way a lot and uh, how uh, how it connects to alien worlds in the sense is that we have the uh, wax wallet connected to the game right so if you have a currency you can purchase certain ships that are not available uh, normally and that gives you like a niche that gives you like ultra premium ships with special powers and you can add that to your fleet 
that really changes the game a lot. Yeah, that sounds really cool. And, and just looking at the game uh, looks like a lot of fun. I am definitely uh, the type of, so of of the the edge of crew. I'm definitely the gamer of of the crew, and um, I like survival games. Uh, so how you describe that uh, has me intrigued. Um, there's been like quite a few just regular web two games I've been playing on mobile uh, that have to to do with that. And so like adding some of these web three components sounds uh, very appealing to me personally. Um, but I am uh, curious, Kevin. So of course, uh, with uh, Battle Fleet Armageddon coming out, um, can you kind of like walk us through a little bit of like the unique pieces of uh, content and and makings of this game that made it compelling for them to receive a grant and for them to you know be part of this amazing ecosystem that you're um, that's being built out. Sure. So, well, it's worth noting that I'm I'm actually not part of the grant um, award process, um, but I receive the award winners uh, to support them thereafter, which is very nice for me because I only get to talk to the brightest and most qualified um, groups. But um, I, I do want to step back for a second and just talk about some things that make this um, a better approach than maybe Web3 games that we've seen in the past. So I always like to think of blockchain technology as like the sun. For many of these use cases, it gives life. Um, it's incredibly powerful. Um, it makes the whole thing work together as the sun does for our planet, for example. But the sun, like blockchain, is very, because it's so powerful, the closer you get, the more likely it is you get burned. And so what I mean by that is if you decide to take a game and build it entirely on the blockchain, which we have uh, and we've done successfully, um, you may get burned because dealing with a blockchain is very burdensome. It's very resource in, uh, intensive in terms of tokens uh, to throttle block space that you that it's auctioned off. Also, it's very uh, resource intensive in, in terms of computing power oftentimes. And so you end up sacrificing what we've gotten so used to for good user experience for security decentralization, sort of the things that, that make Bitcoin a really attractive thing for people to be involved in. Um, what I like about Battlefield Armageddon is first it's on mobile, um, which is the largest gaming market in the world. Um, and um, secondly, uh, it's more of like a web 2.5 experience. What's, what's nice about Web 2.5 is that, you know, you can enjoy the game uh, and not have to be forced to use some of the blockchain components. But if uh, if you choose to use the blockchain components, you'll, you'll have a more rewarding experience. So I, I think that what they've done is is really the kind of patterns and choices that gaming companies should use if they're trying to incorporate digital ownership of virtual items. Uh, so really that web 2.5 approach. And I like the web 2.5 approach because again, if you're trying to bring on the next generation or the next big wave of people, it's going to be people who are using blockchain technology without knowing they're using it, um, who now are getting all these amazing components that web three has to offer without them at their core, knowing that they even have it. But if they want to go that next step, they now have the ability to go and, and, and act on those particular features, which I think is yeah, really because powerful. At the end of the day, you know, how long have has this technology been around? We there, we still have a password that if you forget, you're screwed. That has not been solved. 
So until we, 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 we just sort of like pushed that to the back of the room and said, no, nah, it's fine. Um, it's not fine. If, you, if you're trying to engage with people who don't, who don't use blockchain at all, um, they, they simply cannot function around that. Uh, and so things like um, obfuscating those user flows where you're engaging with a private key, where you're engaging with resource consumption, um, to to uh, transact on a blockchain, it should really be taken care of for you. You know, when you're talking about things like Bitcoin, where um, this is there's much more at stake, right? Than when you're playing a game. Um, but when you're playing a game, you can dial back that sort that sort of um, uh, personal responsibility and security that comes with 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 uh, managing your private keys and just do it for them. And then what? What you get to do as a game developer is you get to offload any sort of security or liability that you may have by hosting valuable in-game items and, and have that be done by a blockchain. So that's that's security that's done for you. They don't need a private key and they all of a sudden get to experience the kind of gameplay uh, mechanics that that. They gamers already want in terms of trading items with one another um, on, on, you know, buying and selling them to create the best strategic deck or the best strategic fleet um, and to have the experience they want. That already happens in CSGO. That happened in Diablo a while back. And so, you know, developers found it tedious, um, a little bit scary. Uh, and, and so I think this is win-win. Uh, and and it, and it's much better moving towards uh, doing that for the user and letting them just enjoy the value, the utility. That's that's what good user experience is, right? Letting them get to the value as fast as possible. So that's what I think they're doing here with Battlefield Armageddon uh, and general two point five, like Web two point five approach. Yeah, I, I really like that. And I actually, um, Sugum, I was going to ask you to lean into that just a little bit more on. Um, you know, can you highlight some of the innovative features and design choices in Battlefield Armageddon that showcase its distinctive advantages of blockchain technology? Sure, I think like Kevin said, it's like uh, that 2.5 approach really matters. I think, you know, you don't wanna prevent uh, gamers from playing the game uh, just because it's on the blockchain. But then if it is uh, on the blockchain, if you are using that, then it kind of gives you an edge or, you know, just gives you a different sort of experience. Uh, so that's the main thing that we wanted to focus on. And ships was the best way to do this because the game is so much about the battle fleet, right? Like the fleet that you're assembling. So I think uh, what matters is in such a scenario that the main core gameplay loop has to be addictive and more than addictive. I don't like using that word that much, but you want to go back and play, right? It's entertaining. Uh, on that level. And I think being from a two web 2.0 background, that gave us an edge to and the freedom to work on that and then uh, integrate it with this feature where you can have uh, new ships and new features to expand upon. Yeah, so let's talk about that just a little bit more. Um, what are some upcoming uh, either game releases or upcoming features that people can look forward to seeing in 2024 as you know Battlefleet Armageddon continues to roll out. Um, I'm I'm not sure how much I can tell you, but yeah, right now we're completely focused on supporting the game and getting feedback. Uh, that means a lot to us, and uh, we're really looking forward to what uh, how the responses to Battlefield Armageddon 
And I think that's all. We have quite a few interesting stuff in the works, but not something I can speak right now of. Nope. No, no problem. We'll tease it up. Um, yep. Well, Kevin, uh, to, to wrap up this segment with you, you know, uh, what else can you share about uh, the, the ecosystem that people can look forward to uh, for the rest of the year? And like, what are some of the things that the team is like most excited about when they think about the future of blockchain gaming? Uh, well, when we're thinking about the future of blockchain gaming, when we're thinking about um, the Emily Wants metaverse, uh, I think I think there's there's plenty of awesome things uh, happening in, in blockchain gaming uh, in general. What what I what I am really excited for is for people to start to dig into the economics a little more, um, because I think it needs to be more inclusive. It needs to be not tied to a particular fungible token, you know, um, and um, it's it's difficult to explain. You know, I, th I think an incredible genre of games is going to be extraction shooters. Um, Dr. Disrespect has a quote that has lived rent free in my head for quite some time now, uh, which is imagine uh, an extraction shooter. You know, people I, I watch Twitch, uh, you know, all the time. I watch um, streamers, usually in Warzone, but um but sometimes I do Tarkov. Uh, but imagine a Tarkov-like game where they're extracting incredibly rare, rare item, and, and on the open market, that item is worth ten thousand dollars. That's good. That's good television. So I, I think that um, when people start to focus on the entertainment factor, uh, when we when people start to understand what what the stakes are that make it fun and make it exciting, um, and sort of tie it less to a fungible token, that will be really cool. The 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 take that we have is we look at Alien Worlds as an IP. Um, I think franchises, IP, storytelling um, has proven itself to be huge over the past, well, I say 50 years because, you know, the, the, the franchises and IP of 50 years ago are the biggest ones today. Um, Star Wars, for example, go forth a couple decades. Pokemon, there's another one. Uh, Super Mario also started that, that long ago. So... The Witcher now is a huge one um, and, and certainly took some time to to get out there. But when, as soon as it hit the Witcher video games culminating in Witcher 3, I mean, that's when it was like, oh, my God, I want to learn more about the story. So what um, I don't know, maybe you want to talk about this later, but our work with Kevin J. Anderson and sort of how we turned Alien Worlds into a potential franchise, a decentralized intellectual property that's run by its community, that's owned by its community, and gives people the opportunity to commercialize their own creations in the way that Battlefleet Armageddon is, uh, is commercializing, commercializing their own, um, set within alien worlds, but not run by a first party. You know, no one is Disney in this equation. Um, so they get to reap what they sow in a positive way, uh, so to speak. So maybe we talk about that later with Kevin and, and uh, Sci-Fi IP, or do you want to go into that now? No, we actually can go into that now. But one thing before we do, I wanted to bring up that I really that re resonated with me because you, you dropped a lot of gems in that one. And the one that I picked up on was the ability for people to resonate with finding rare items. Like there's a whole market for people who just open up cards, whether that's Pokemon cards or baseball cards, whatever, just to see if they get a rare one. And like being able to tie that back into gaming and then knowing like, hey, you can create entertaining content like that. And then, oh yeah, you still own this really expensive thing that you can now put into the ecosystem. Like that circular type of, of, of 
gaming ecosystem and 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 commercialization and uh, monetization is 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 so cool. And I think we're just at the beginning stages of that. Um, so I want to touch on that for a second. But yes, let's dive deeper into you know the franchising piece and 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 so many other really cool things that you you guys are building on. Yeah. So one one thought about that um, is. I think it's easy to create that experience. Now I'm not a developer, um, so that's easy for me to say. But that experience has to be built on on you know, you, Sugum. You said you said addictive. I say replay value, right? It's that it's that core game loop that you just go back to because you liked it. It was fun the whole way through, and you're going to do it again. And you know, there's a certain amount of strategic depth to it, and you can use your own decision making to change it a little bit for next time and improve and you know, beat that next person and climb the ladder. I mean, so that that's the hard part, I think, is isolating that that fun gameplay. Hello again, Web3 Curious listeners. If you're tuning into our podcast, we'd love for you to connect with us on our social media channels. Let us know what aspects of the show you love. And what or who you're eager to hear more about. Your insights help us refine the show and bring you the topics and guests that matter most to you. Thanks for sticking with us. Back to the episode. Loop with replay value. Building that kind of experience where you've got cosmetics, um, where you have items that um, are hopefully balanced that you can use within the game. I feel like that's easier, Um, but bring it together is obviously uh, pretty difficult. So, yeah, like you said, bringing it all together is, is really one of the more challenging pieces. Um, but also just, and again, just to, to wrap up this area, did you kind of want to dive a little bit deeper into like, I guess, how Alien Worlds is looking at like either doing like the franchise model and, and other elements of that? It was in the middle of last year and um, we were brainstorming on contributions that Dakoko could make to Alien Worlds. And we were sitting at the helm of Galactic Hubs. So we're receiving a lot of inquiries about, hey, I'd like to build this. I'd like to build this project um, or this game. And what you start to see as more and more come in is that having them be connected with each other. So you always know you're stepping into the Alien Worlds universe. Um, and I said universe, not metaverse on purpose. I'll explain that later. But you you, you want to keep it consistent. You, you, can, you can film a 30-second short and just from the sounds alone, you could probably identify that you're in Star Wars, right? Just from, um, you could have a different actor for Geralt, um, which we're probably going to have, which is devastating, but that's whatever. Um, and just by how they're dressed, you know, just, you'd be able to tell you're in the Witcher universe, right? Um, so we saw that there was, um, the, the lore of Alien Worlds is a bit underve- underdeveloped. Uh, it, it obviously was there. People had fallen in love with many aspects of it. But when you start to get professional groups coming in to build games and stories and media, transmedia, you're going to need to say, all right, we got We have to make the world a little more deep. And so I, I went and reached out to an award-winning sci-fi author whose name is Kevin J. Anderson. Um, he did the Young Jedi series. He has uh, a, a uh, 25 million books in print. He has his own award-winning saga of the Seven Sons. He's done Superman, X-Files, Starcraft, Star Wars. And to cap it off, he writes the prequels uh, for Dune with Frank Herbert's son. And Dune is my favorite book of all time. I just love sci-fi. Uh, so I went to him and I was like, 
hey, my name is Kevin. I have a crazy idea. Would you like to jump on a phone call? And I was like, he goes, okay. I go, do you know about blockchain? He goes, nope. And we go, then this is going to be an interesting one. And so a few months later, we agreed that he could come in and take our, uh, take the Alien World's lore and build upon it uh, because he's an expert world builder, but not in the way that this is what kind of makes it interesting. It was a little bit backwards. Then you see how worlds are usually built out. Look at Star Wars. You have the story of the Messiah, Luke Skywalker. You have his antagonist, Darth Vader. And you have the arc, Act 1, 2, 3, and the development of these characters over the course of that story. Now, you love that story. And then you look behind it. And you go, well, there's a lot here. The Jedi, the Sith, the Mandalorians. Like, I just keep going. There's so much to learn. And then the lore started to get built out. And this world exploded. And now, fast forward decades, you can have a story like Rogue One, which is just a, a small piece of how they were able to conquer the Death Star. Right? They just go and blow up the reactor that powers the shield. That's it. That's a whole story. They did that for the Matrix video game um, when it was like on GameCube, where Ghost and, Ni and Nairobi went to knock out the power plant so that Neo could break into the architect's office. Right? That's Love what it. a good world is. That's what a good world is, where you can find pockets of storytelling that you could blow out and make your own thing. And so what we did together with Kevin was we built a framework. We said, what's the technology, the cultures, the races, the history, the religion, the this, the that, the laws of the physical universe? Is there magic? Is there not? Are there talking horses or are there not? Spoiler alert, they're not talking horses. But with a framework, you then can go to storytellers, people that are doing animation, video games, art, fiction, you name it, and they can start to fill in the blanks. And so that's what we've done. And since December, we've been releasing uh, lore um, in the form of, of sketches and short snippets um, that sort of paint a picture for how this whole world works. And then when we engage with people, we can say, hey, did you think about maybe the story being around this? And now when we fast forward a year from now, two years from now, we're going to have media that spans different genres and ties into each other very, very well because they because everybody without talking to one another has agreed on what the laws of this universe are. So in a way, we think that Alien Worlds is the evolution of the fictional universe, the metaverse. And the metaverse is often this thing that is very difficult for people to define. And if you talk, you throw a rock, you're going to hit somebody with, uh, don't throw rocks at people, but you're going to hit somebody that has a different definition, right? So this is, this is our definition. We're so honored to have worked with Kevin. And then people like Sugum so that they can build out the stories that are set within this world, this framework that we are producing and releasing still every day to now. So that's a long-winded answer to say what I'm really most excited about in, in decentralized metaverse development is, is a decentralized IP, a decentralized franchise. Oh, absolutely. And no, I think the, the long answer was very necessary because for, for a lot of people, even listening to this, uh, myself included, when you talk about lore, you think about storytelling, I'm sure everyone had a moment where they thought about, you know, what's some of the best storytelling they've, they've heard through gaming. And like, you know, for me, uh, I immediately uh, went into um, a game that like is on PlayStation that like captivated my heart that then HBO eventually bought that now everyone, you know, knows more about Last of Us. That was one of the first I was games I guess. ever played where I was like, this yeah. is the best storytelling in a game like I have ever seen. And it makes complete sense that H like someone picked this up because it, it it's like it was already crafted like it, lore lore is just immediately within gaming it's this under 
I want to say undervalued, but like not necessarily as appreciated as it should be for the storytelling that it like really gravitates you to a game that makes you like fall in love with it, keep coming back for more and like keep wanting to discover more um, about the different elements. So Kevin would definitely want to just take a moment. I know you've been working with Kevin and, and really leaning into the lore of alien worlds and, and what this is all leading to. Can you kind of just give us some more information on that? Yeah. I, working with Kevin J. Anderson was probably one of the best professional experiences I've ever had in my life. And we spent hours and hours and hours and hours um, coming up with a, a unique framework for a sci-fi world. Um, and so we had to take into it. It's very challenging. We had to take into account existing things in alien worlds because there are already alien worlds NFTs out there. So how do you make those sort of backwards compatible with um, with new lore? And so I'll just take a moment to describe it because I think you know as we start to create uh, more and more content with with better and better production quality, I eventually want to see this turned into a Netflix series, an animated Netflix series. Now, just to, for everybody listening, to be clear. We're not currently working with Netflix, so please don't go posting saying that's what we're doing or what I said we were doing. However, I would love to. So if Netflix, if you're watching, please reach out. Um, so this is kind of like, um, pause trying to get my thoughts together. Oh, man, I don't remember what I wrote down. Um, so, okay. So Trillium, in the alien world's metaverse, the fictional metaverse, is the most bioreactive substance um, known to organic life. When exposed, when you or I are exposed to it, it actually in, in, it um, accelerates um, the genetic mutation at a catastrophic rate. So you and I just turn to goo, right? But there was um, a very advanced alien race called the Altans, and they discovered this naturally occurring element um, on their own planet. And they sought to understand it, research it, refine it, and then turn around and administer it to themselves. Now, this incredible substance, Trillium, that could affect genetic material, um, they were able to affect their own genetics with predictable, um, deterministic, consistent results. So um, they were able to eliminate disease, slow down aging, and actually take it further and give themselves enhanced abilities to be better, faster, stronger, smarter. Um, and you can imagine how all of a sudden, however your society is oriented, you're going to orient it around the, the, the collection, refinement, and distribution of this world-changing um, um, natural resource. So they used triactor technology, a kind of like... Uh, um, a port on their body to uh, to administer Trillium to get those effects. And so they're able to create many different effects. However, the catch was that Trillium is consumed when you do this. So if you are slowing down aging and you run out of Trillium, you are no longer slowing down aging. So obviously it becomes the most important thing in the entire universe. Well, they eventually ran out and they looked to the stars. And so thus began the great expansion where they were aware of other sentient life in the universe, but hadn't approached them yet. Well, this gave them a reason to find more Trillium. And so fast forward and we have a federation of many different races and cultures, all centered around the, the collection and production of Trillium, which is now at in, in present day, only found on six different planets. And those are ruled by our our in-game um, syndicates, the DAOs. Uh, so they are actually receiving Trillium every day. So 
this idea of, if you ever heard the word digesis, which is the rules by which something enters into the fictional universe. Um, we have trillium inflation that goes to the syndicates. And within the fictional universe, we explain that that is the only, the only places where it's found is on those six planets. Um, so you get a really cool world where now you can see how this really lends itself to video game progression, you know, creating new abilities, sustaining that resource to give you those abilities. Um, and we also explain how this whole um, system is motivated. Uh, what people are after you know an example um one more example is like uh, of, of an ability is that you can breathe in non-native atmospheres so every single person it's like getting a driver's license right every single person uh, has a port to put on their body somewhere where they can administer triactor and trillion-based tech so that they can function um in society so in this way where you have this biopunk take on uh sci-fi it it becomes dune meets cyberpunk Right. So Dune, where spice is the most valuable resource in the universe and cyberpunk, where you're using augmentations, you know, plugging yourself in, making yourself more and more um, machine than man. Um, but with uh, with many different alien races that can be part of the story. Think like Mass Effect. So you can see how all of these influences sort of uh, show up here. And so when you ask what you know, what are your favorite IPs? Um, that's what comes to mind. Uh, so it's a really cool universe and uh, looking forward to building it out more and more with the community that's already involved. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, wow, so much to unpack with all of that. Just uh, so many cool things you're building. Uh, I know the story is only going to progress more. It's it's cool how you're able to bring your your six styles back together in, in explaining like how it all ties back. And of course, all the, the games that will then come to play within all of that. So, you know, Alien Worlds is definitely building something really special that I'm, I'm confident people as they learn more about everything that's going on are going to want to be a part of this and, and figure out how they can, you know, start to play some amazing games and, and be part of this lore because it, it sounds really awesome. The, the last the last thing I would add that makes this really unique, different than um, your average sci-fi franchise, is that we have we are tokenizing the lore. So Trillium that is already um, in um, in circulation will be used to vote on what is and is not canon. So as new stories are produced, the community must say, I like that. That should be involved. And we will actually turn around and use the canonized lore to train uh, an AI that we're building, uh, a large language model. We're calling it a large lore model, um, where you'll be able to query the, the AI um, to understand whatever it is you are asking about the lore, because it will be this ever-expanding thing, which kind of becomes difficult to manage. Um, but we'll have our base wiki, you know, text-based stuff, that will be committed to the blockchain when it's canonized. And then it, when it's canonized, it'll be used as training material for uh, an AI bot that will be able to keep up with the current state of that lore and help creators keep their lore consistent with the voted on canon by the community. So this is totally different and way more inclusive than any other um, intellectual property out there where the, where the normal route is create IP, exploit IP, enforce IP rules. Um, but DeCoco, nor any central body in this has any interest in um, having a monopoly over the rights to this IP because the goal is for people to find business opportunity in the media they create in this world um, and to, to make money off of that, to incentivize more people to do it, to continue to grow this. And at the center, 
you know, we will have this DAO um, that is able to uh, to control uh, the IP and vote on that that tokenization. So it's, I think it's super fascinating, and I think it's going to change the way we start to think about how franchises are managed and built. There's a lot more of that. It would fill up another half hour, but um, definitely check it out. You know, at AlienWorlds.io. Awesome. I know that we can keep talking about this and I want to, but I first want to know more about the story of you guys. So we're actually about to go into our next segment, uh, which is called Edge Quick Hitters, so that we can learn more about both of you. NFTLA returns as an inclusive week of community events throughout LA, celebrating the outer edge of innovation. Builders be building. There's so much energy colliding around gaming, AI, generative art, the metaverse, decentralized social, and the future of entertainment. If you want to be in the mix, including the official free NFTLA celebration, visit OuterEdge.Live to subscribe for your updates in RSVP. Edge Quick Hitters is a fun and quick way to get to know you a little better. There are 10 questions and we're looking for just a short or single or few word response. So feel free to expand if you get the urge, but are you both ready? ready let's go all right well first we'll kick it off with you sugum um what is the first thing you ever remember purchasing in your life well okay i think the first thing i ever got was probably a wrestling card deck you know i, I was into wrestling in wwe and i used to collect the cards for that what was your like most memorable card you've ever gotten uh, definitely the rock like that was such a rare thing for me awesome what about you kevin what was the first thing you ever purchased okay so there's things you purchase with your own money and then maybe with your parents money so I, you know i was lucky enough that on saturdays my parents would give me a couple bucks and i go down to the card shop and i buy magic the gathering so I played Magic the Gathering at like competitive level as a kid. And if you're going to ask me which is my favorite deck, so two, um, you know, I, I did the red damage deck. I did the um, um, green creatures, white healing nonstop, but the Telerian Academy deck that was in the Urza series, uh, Urza Saga and, and Legacy and stuff like that. Actually, the whole deck ended up getting banned. But I partnered with a kid when, uh, you know, when it came out. We built the deck together. And eventually, I left the game and I gave it to him. But the first thing I ever bought with my own money um, was Eiffel 65's uh, CD in eighth grade. So I'm blue, daba deep, that whole thing. Like, so I, yeah, yeah, made some mistakes back then, but I still like it when it comes on. Oh, dude, that's awesome. No, that's still a great story. Um, going back to the lore of everything. Um, so Kevin, on the flip side of that, what's the first thing you remember selling in your life? Okay, so Pokemon cards. So because I was good at Magic Gathering um, and I was, I was a good collector, uh, you know, I'd end up trading for really good cards. I was competitive and I had I had good collection of decks. And so I actually got really into Pokemon, uh, Pokemon cards before it took off. So I had a full, you know, complete first edition ho holographic everything. Um, and so I actually would go to school. And as it started to get to catch on, people knew I, I knew a lot. So I would broker deals between kids in eighth grade. And like, you know, you know, I actually got in trouble because the teachers were hearing about how much lunch money was passing like through me. You know, I take like a cut of the different deals I broker. They're like, stop doing that. So I ended up um, going to the card shop who could reach out to the parents of these kids and they didn't know how to play. And so they would pay me to come in and teach groups. Um, 
to to learn the game uh, every weekend. So I ended up getting paid like seventy bucks when like each Saturday when I was in eighth grade, and that was like, you know, I could do. Oh, you were I was, I was rich. Yeah, I could do whatever I want. So yeah, Pokemon cards. Actually, it was like sixth Dude, that, grade. I think I don't remember. That is awesome. Um, way way to be hustling from day one, carried up into where you are now. But what about you, Sugan? What's the first thing you remember selling? Well, uh, believe it or not, it was actually Pokemon cards. Like I remember, they were so rare uh, back in the day. At least where I was living and uh, nobody at school would play it. So I remember uh, having this tech that I collected and this guy was really into it, wanted to buy it from me. And he he was after me for like two, three years before I actually sold it to him. Uh, but I remember uh, doing that because like it ended up becoming a cult. You know, there were these, uh, this short group in school who just were obsessed with Pokemon cards and I was part of it. And I just needed to move on at one point of life. <laughs> Gotcha. Yeah. I mean, man, like there's, there's so many different phases. I remember I got into Pokemon cards and then Yu-Gi-Oh became a big thing. And so like, there's a whole like really big Yu-Gi-Oh push. And then at one point, like once I got past that, like I remember selling my cards to to some people that like had some really rare ones and broken some of those deals too. So like, man, I'm telling you like people who are in gaming and like card stuff, like the, the hustle comes out early. Um, so Sugum, what was the first thing? Um, what was the most recent thing that you've purchased? Oh, wow. So I actually just bought a bike, an adventure bike. And yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to testing that out. I've never been a biker myself, but like I wanted to give it a shot and I've been roaming around on that. It's super fun. Nice. Well, I hope you enjoy that. Kevin, how about, what's your, what about yourself? Uh, the recent Baldur's Gate. Now, I don't know that I'm ever going to actually be able to play it because I'm very busy and I have two kids, uh, but it's there. I feel better that I bought it. At least at least I'm just doing my part to support games that are awesome. Whether you know, And I'll play, I think, because I did the same thing for Red Dead Redemption. I bought that when it came out. I'm still waiting to play it because I started playing it and I was sitting there and I was like brushing my horse and I was like, bro, I got two kids. I got to just get I got to play a game that's like, so I got back into Destiny because it was just faster. You know, you, you play yeah. 6v6 or whatever it was and, and it's over. But Red Dead Redemption and Baldur's Gate are on my list. I just bought Baldur's Gate. So, you know, I bought Starfield. I played it for a little bit, but I don't think I'm going to go back to that. So Baldur's Gate. Nice. Yeah, that should be fun. Um, I got Elden Ring recently and I've been waiting to bust that out because I've heard once you start, it's it's a commitment. So like I've been... Been been waiting on that, but I think dude, I think I'm, I'm scared I can't hack it. I haven't bought it because I'm like, what if I suck too much to actually beat it? Because I know it's like it's like Ninja Gaiden level like difficulty. Um uh, Sekiro like die twice or whatever that one is called. So I'm just like, I'm literally afraid to play it. Yeah. I'm I'm one of those interesting people that like loves the challenge and the hustle of it. And like I know I'm gonna basically put myself through torture. So just just deciding when I wanna Go ahead and sign up for that. Um, so what about uh, on the flip side? Um, what is the most recent thing that you've sold? We'll start with you, Kevin. Yeah, I might need a moment on that. I don't know if I've sold anything lately. My time yeah. every day. Time, crypto, you know? Yeah, yeah. Whatever. Oh, yeah, I, I recently moved in and out of... Uh, uh, Bitcoin because I listened to somebody and um, that was wrong. And I ended up buying back uh, for a higher price. And I was just like, why are you not just doing what you've always done and just buy the darn thing and just let it sit there? You know, let we're it talking, 
10, 20 years. You don't, you don't need to mess with it now. So yeah, I'd say um, Bitcoin unsuccessfully. <laughs> gotcha. What about you, Sugam? Oh, I just sold a monitor. I wanted to get an ultra wide specifically uh, for Starfield. I'm wanting to try that out. Uh, but uh, listening to Kevin, I'm not, my hopes are not that high at all. <laughs> gotcha. Well, good luck. Uh, hope you ever get something for it. Um, so Sugum, what would you consider your most prized possession? Ah, uh, that would be my engagement ring. Nice. Yeah. This uh, cool. it's an engraved ring. Uh, uh, like I'm a metalhead, so Metallica is my favorite band, and nothing yes. else matters is what's engraved on it. Oh. My wife chose that for me, so I've. That's my prized possession. Yeah. This is one of those moments no. where like, did we just become best friends? I'm with you on that, man. I, I love Metallica. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, I could rift on that for a moment. I'm not going to do it. Kevin, how about yourself? What's your most prized possession? I'm, I'm just, I was at karaoke the other night and no one sang a Metallica song. And I'm just realized what an opportunity miss that was. Uh, so yeah, I agree. Um, I gotta say my grill. I love grilling. I have a nice grill. And what's, what's your go-to? Like you're, you're about to impress somebody. What's you, what's you busting out on the grill? Oh, uh, just steak, salt, pepper. That's it. Um, New York strip more than ribeye. Uh, but I think it's dealer's choice. And um, I'm just devastated. My cat, my, my, I almost said cats, kids, my kids, they've sometimes act like cats. They don't like steak. It's oh. like, I, I feel like I'm, I'm screwing up as a parent, but um, hopefully they will soon. But yeah, just, just my grill. And uh, so I can cook myself some steak sometimes. Nice. Um, okay. Kevin, if you could buy anything in the world, digital, physical service experience that is currently for sale, and money is not a problem, what would it be? Uh, squash court. So uh, to put on the back of my house, like I, I love squash. It's not an accessible sport, uh, but for some reason, that's what I play. And I have for um, almost 18 years, like competitively, I love it. Um, it's just, it's hard to find a court uh, because they're so expensive and it's hard to find communities to play with. So I would want to create, build a court attached to my house um, and then try to find people to play with. That's, that's what I would do, hands down. That's my dream nice. is to have a squash court attached to my house. Tell you what, we've been doing this show for a very long time. We have never, I've never heard that response. So that's, that's a very one of one response. So I, I, I respect that, Kevin. Uh, how about you, Sugum? Sugum. Oh, definitely. I built another PC. So recently I just traded, uh, like sold my PC and moved to a laptop because work. And that was the worst decision of my life. Like I want to get back to that and build a PC and get back to gaming. You know, when you're busy, you don't get time. And when you do get time, you don't want to spend it in the graphic settings. Yeah, I got you. Yeah, that's that's also one of one. Uh, there's so many unique ways that I know you can build a PC and have it be just epic. So I imagine that your PC would just be insane, super fast. Um, oh, yeah. Just, just crushing it. <laughs> Um, so the next question for you is if you could pass on one of your personality traits to the next generation, what would it be? Uh, I think it would be patience. That's something I've mastered over the years. And I remember my wife telling me I have unlimited patience. So that's something hey, I'd like to pass on. That is the highest praise from the misses. So yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. That is, that is a great one. Um, Can how I about yourself? Some of that patience there? Can I borrow some of that? <laughs> um, sure. 
Okay, well, it's 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 difficult. I think I think you had a really good answer. Um, it's difficult to say that because it's like you got to I don't know you got to talk really nice about yourself, I guess. Um, but I think the the most fun I have had professionally in the last decade was in the last six months working with Kevin Anderson and and a, and a few other creative people trying to devise the the framework for the world we built. Um, so I would say whatever it is that allows me to contribute in discussions like that, um, call it like creativity or spitballing or whatever. Um, and you know, I'm not, I'm not like a creative director or anything, but, but I, but I like that about myself and, and, and I had so much fun doing that. So I, I hope other people can, can get the opportunity to do something like that too. And, and that they can contribute and, and feel like, wow, yeah, no, that was a good idea. Okay. Let's write that one down. All right. Where are we with this whole thing? I like how it's all taken shape. You know, that. Yeah, no, creativity is a, is, is a great trait to have. Uh, I feel like a, a lot of us uh, want to explore curiosity and don't necessarily how to creatively do it in a way that others can receive it. So just the ability to communicate that creativity with others definitely is a, is a great personality trait. So Kevin, we're going to flip this to you on the opposite side. If there was a personality trait you could eliminate for the next generation, what would it be? Well, I think I would just take the other side of Sugum's, uh, you know, uh, answer, which would be impatience. Um, good things do come. And um, it's through patience and tenacity that they, that they often do. Um, and kindness and graciousness with people around you because no one does anything together. I mean, excuse me, uh, individually, everyone does things together. It takes a village um, for, for many different things to build software, to build games, to, to build anything in blockchain. Um, so I think that what helps all that happen is patience because you're going to fail. And um, if you're not going to try again, if you don't have that patience to sit down and reflect and think, what can I do different next time? And then have the tenacity to act on that. It may not ever happen. You, you, you know, you, what's a Gretzky quote? Where it's like you miss a hundred percent of the shots you don't take or something like that. It's true. So I, I would say it's rooted in patience. Yeah. Great answer. Or in, so in patience is it technically is, the answer to the question. Is impatience is what I want to eliminate. Right. Yeah. And, and what about yourself, Sugum? What, what personality trait would you want to eliminate for the next generation? I think it would be like, I've been called a shy kid and you know, I've been quiet all my life. I, I kind of hate confrontations. Like that's something, but I think balance is something that's required in every personality. And uh, recently I've been trying to get that balance in every aspect of my life. So I think wherever I'm leaning towards imbalance, probably all those things is what I would not like to pass on. Well, uh, just by being on the show, I can say you're definitely leaning in, in the right direction. Uh, you know, just going to be seen by a ton of oh, people. Gosh, and, and uh, you know, blush, yeah. I, Ah, you're, you're doing great, man. So I uh, definitely appreciate that uh, response. And uh, I'm going to ask you this next question, which is, what were you doing right before this podcast? Oh, I got, I got a quick nap in because it's like really late here in Goa. It's 3 a.m. It's actually 4 a.m. 4 now. So yeah, I got a nap in and got prepped for this. Well, appreciate you being up late for us. Uh, Kevin, how about yourself? Coaxed my son into eating his lunch. He's four. Struggle is real. Yeah. You'd think hunger would be enough of a motiv motivator. But for some reason, it's not when you're four. <laughs> you need convincing. Um, 
And at some point I was like, listen, I'm not negotiating with a four-year-old. Here's your lunch. Okay. I have to, it's, but, but I say that, but like literally everything becomes a motiva- uh, negotiation. So uh, yeah, coaxing my son to have lunch. <laughs> Sounds like a survival game, but you're not the character. Great. Yeah. I'm, I'm not the main character anymore. Yeah. <laughs> it's my son. Um, oh, for sure. Well, um, Kevin, what are you going to do right after this podcast? Uh, well, I have a lot of work to do. Um, and, um, right before that, I'm gonna take a five minute break and receive my daughter from the bus stop. Um, and then my son and daughter will play together and I have to do some writing. Um, so yeah. Nice. How about you, Sugum? Oh, this is going to piss Kevin off. I'm going to take a nap. <laughs> I'm going to like him. Dude, can I have Sleep your life, for a while. No. <laughs> <laughs> Nice. Yeah, definitely. What's a, what's definitely. A rest up. <laughs> we uh, so we always like to wrap with a bonus question. And um, I like this one a lot. So, of course, other than early in worlds, uh, what is the best sci fi themed IP? We're talking book, movie, game series of all time and why? Well, I was not prepared for this question, though. I, th- I think about it a lot. Um, OK, can I say more than one? I'm going to say more than one. You can't. You can't stop me. I'm going to say more than one. Um, right. Okay, the first one that came to mind was Mass Effect. Ooh. Uh, and not every Mass Effect game was amazing, you know. Um, I don't remember enjoying Andromeda. But Mass Effect 1 was a pioneer in, um, you, in, in player choice-led storytelling, in good and evil, and, and trying to provide both qualitative and quantitative ways to measure how good or evil you were. I played that game... I don't, I play the game at least twice um, because I wanted to experience it as, as benevolent and, and malevolent. Um, so Mass Effect was pioneering. Uh, but I mean, Snow Crash, ah, it's, it's not like a franchise level thing, but in terms of, I love world building. And in terms of, of the, the depth of that world, how vivid it was and, and, how groundbreaking it was at the time. Neil Stevenson's Snow Crash, I think is one of the coolest worlds I've ever stepped into. Um, but, you know, if you're talking about like, all right, on paper, which is the best, it's going to be Star Wars. I mean, you, you can't mess with that and fine, but it, it wouldn't be, I'm like naturally contrarian. So I want to find something that like maybe not everyone else is talking about. Um, so I really love Snow Crash. I really love Mass Effect. And the last one is also, I'm going to say, uh, the Dune universe and um, um, Denis Villeneuve, uh, Villeneuve, I don't know how to pronounce his name, sorry. Um, his. And now a brief interlude from today's show so you can get ready to wave your magic wand with Cast Magic. Our team has saved a ton of time and money using Cast Magic for our show, and the potential use cases are boundless for any company creating content. Imagine turning a single recording into a gold mine of engagement for any type of show, webinar, or other type of audio and or video content, whether it's short or long. With Cast Magic, you can save over 20 hours a week. No more tedious transcribing or brainstorming social media posts. Cast Magic does it all, generating show notes, summaries, blog posts, and even newsletters in minutes. Think of it as your content alchemist, transforming every audio or video into a treasure trove of valuable content. Want to experience the magic? Get a seven-day trial on us by going to bit.ly forward slash cast magic referral and join cast magic's vibrant slack community of over a thousand innovators 
Don't just create, cast your magic with Cast Magic. His take on Dune is one of the best movies I've ever seen in my life. Can't wait to see part two. Um, and I've read like half the books. And I, there's probably four or five more that I want to say right now, but I'll, sh I'll shut up so I don't take them all from Sugum. All good. Great answer. How about you, Sugum? Yeah, I mean, like sci-fi is such a good genre. There's so much to talk about. Like, And like the first thing that came to my mind would be Star Trek because I'm a Trekkie. And I just love the positivity in that. And, you know, the way they approach everything back then was so cool. But but I would give my number one spot right now to Battlestar Galactica because it's just such an underrated series. It's just like everybody needs to just go back and watch it and bring it back somehow. Yeah. No, that's awesome. Um, you know, being, being a gamer myself, I always enjoy these types of conversations and to bring this up because, you know, uh, I feel like we don't... Get to talk about this every day and so for me this is always a joy so appreciate uh getting to know you both a little bit more and i'm sure all the audience uh has enjoyed you know getting to see some of that personal side of y'all as well but you know as we start to conclude the, the the episode we always like to give a moment for shout outs and so um i want to give you both the opportunity to you know to, to highlight either you know people you're working with or or uh sponsors or you know, someone recently, you're, you're, you're the person that walks your dog, who, whomever, whoever you want to shout out uh, in this moment, uh, the floor is yours. Sugum will pass the mic to you first. Oh, yeah, I'd like to just highlight Mercury Forge. And I'd love for people to just go and check out Battlefield Armageddon once because uh, we put a lot of effort into this game and we really enjoy it. And we hope people do too. And uh, I really like to thank Mercury Forge for giving me this opportunity because like you said, Richard, it was really fun, especially the last part. Enjoyed it a lot. Awesome. Definitely appreciate that. How about you, Kevin? So it's hard to do to shout out. I, I, I kind of can't have one answer for any question. I'm like giving you like six answers every time you ask me for one. Um, but I would say the, I think the marketing and communications team at Coco is absolutely phenomenal. Um, and they do really great work, uh, and, uh, to give them all a shout out, um, also, um, not just Sugum and team, but, um, all of our Galactic Hubs recipients, uh, especially, you know, Lightning Works and Jeff McCabe working on Starblind, which is a web three enabled comic, which starts to tell stories of characters, um, in alien worlds that are kind of like guardians of the galaxy style of misfits getting together and, and overcoming challenges. Um, so I shout out to them. Um, and then just because you're so broad, I'm going to say, you know, my wife for supporting me in, in, um, getting into blockchain, you know, six years ago when it looked even crazier, uh, than it did now, um, in terms of, of, uh, what you're getting into. So yeah, those, those people. All right. So, um, as we get ready to wrap up here, Sugum, where can our listeners go to learn more about you and the projects you're working on. Oh, so you, they can look up Mercury Forge. And as I said, right now, we want to focus on Battlefield Armageddon. Uh, but then you never know what's down the line. Awesome. And Kevin, how about yourself? Definitely visit alienworlds.io. Um, there's a lot going on there. Check out the blog to see what's happening lately. We'll be adding a community events um, calendar on there. So you can see if you want to get involved with any groups. Uh, and then definitely join our Discord, uh, which you can find also at alienworlds.io. So like I said, a lot going on in the community. And it's best to meet the other people that are there uh, and building and creating and having fun. 
Um, it's all at alienwolves.io. Awesome. Well, we've reached the outer limit of the Edge of NFT for today. Thanks for exploring with us. We've got space for more adventures on the Starship, so invite your friends and recruit some cool strangers that will make this journey all so much better. How? If you're listening, go to Spotify or iTunes right now and rate us and say something awesome. Or if you're watching this on YouTube, hit the subscribe button and pass this episode on to a friend or two. Lastly, be sure to tune in next time for great Web3 content. Thanks again for sharing this time with us today. The views and opinions expressed on Edge of NFT reflect solely those views and opinions of the show hosts and its guests. Please make sure to do your own research. Our show is not financial advice. You understand that you are using any and all information available on or through this podcast at your own risk. Whenever making financial decisions, we recommend doing your own research and talking to your accountant for financial advice. From time to time, we may feature sponsored content on the show for which we receive value, and we may share links for which we receive a commission if you make a purchase through one of those links. Refer to our website, www.edgeofnft.com, for our full disclaimer, terms and conditions, and privacy policy.